Today we'll look at Jesus' actions at the Feast of Tabernacles as we bring the Gospel of John into the new year on this edition of Bible Study Podcasts. Welcome again to this installment of Bible Study Podcast. My name is Justin and I'm your host on this program as we venture through the Gospel of John. It's a pleasure to be back with you again as we break in the year 2008. I hope the new year is finding you well so far and, and I pray that you would have peace in all that you do as we begin anew. As always, I'd like to remind you that you can feel free to contact me at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com or you can click onto our website at www.biblestudypodcasts.org anytime and, and get a hold of any of our other hosts in the ministry as well. We're here to serve you, so let us know how we can help. Uh, today we'll be jumping right back into John chapter 7 at verse 10 and, and so on. So if you can, I, I'd love for you to pick up your Bible and, and join me as we begin. I may not read every single verse for you, but I hope that you will be following along with me in the text as we open up God's Word together. That said, I'd like to offer you a little bit something different this time and just offer you a moment of silence in which you could calm down, kind of get away from stresses of the day, get focused on God's Word, and begin to think clearly about our passage today, and then I'll open this up with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the grace that saves us. We thank you for sending Jesus to the cross to pay the debt which we could not afford. We ask that you would forgive us for the many times that we fail you and pray that you would guide us through the Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word and to not just know it, but to live it out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. It is indeed by grace that we are saved, and it is by grace that I am able to go through this wonderful gospel written by John with you. And I kind of want to start out by thanking you for staying with me all this time, for listening to what I have to say, and for studying alongside of me as we all try to live a life worthy of our calling. So today, we'll begin at verse 10 of the 7th chapter of John. That's John 7, verse 10. As we pick up the action, I'd like to remind you briefly that when we left this passage last week in verse 9, Jesus was staying in Galilee, having told his brothers that his goal was not to make a show of himself. But now in verse 10, we see that some time has passed, and it's come time for Jesus to go to the feast. Now, as we mentioned last time, this was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a seven-day festival commemorating the Jews' time in the wilderness. So as part of this festival, the Jews would build small booths and stay in them, Hence the name that the event is sometimes given, the Festival of Booths. What made the event even more special was the fact that it fell right after the harvest, meaning that food was usually very plentiful, and being a festival, party would be rocking. Nowhere would it be more popular than in Jerusalem, the holy city, the capital of Israel. So there would have been scores of people in the area, all there to celebrate one of the three major Jewish feasts of the ritual years. In fact, it's the last of the three major feasts. And yet, 
as Jesus had told his brothers, it was not his goal to be the hero of the crowd. It's not his goal to be popular. And so he came to the feast in secret, not publicly, but quietly, as just another Jew. Now let me remind you, just for a second here, that Jesus was not exactly a nobody in the public mind at this point in time. He's already healed people. He's performed many miracles by now. He's fed thousands of people at a time. And, you know, he's already had big preaching sermons. He's no backwater preacher by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like the city folk wouldn't recognize him. No. While he may not want to become the Jerusalem idol, it would be a huge mistake to think that many in the crowd would not have known him. But what I find is funny is in the way this narrative is set up is found here in verse 11 as we're told that the Jews, meaning the Jewish leaders, were looking for Jesus and they were asking, where is he? Now why do you suppose they would be looking for Jesus at this feast? Could it be that they were thinking in the same light as his brothers were just verses earlier? After all, this is a huge feast where everyone would be at. They must have been scared that this would be the place where Jesus truly would put on this show, where he would truly become a star. And so John has painted a picture for us in verse 10 through 13. So imagine the chaos that was undoubtedly linked to a major feast, as many come into the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps you can smell the scent of the branches which form the makeshift lean-to scattered all over the city. Maybe you can hear the sound of the donkeys being squeezed into stables, packed way beyond their capacity. Maybe you occasionally see the servants bring in huge baskets of bread, large skins of wine as they try to keep up with all the feasting taking place all over the houses of the city. Possibly the taste of the new fruit picked straight off the vine has tickled your palate. Perhaps the feel of the ground surrounding the temple on your legs gave you a chill as you stay long into the night to hear the teaching from the best of the teachers of the temple. All of these sights and sounds may have been yours. And yet, in the hustle and the bustle of all that this festival was, Jesus quietly slips in. You don't notice him, you don't see him, but everyone wants to know if he's here. The Jewish leaders are frantically searching for him, hoping to stifle any kind of public relations that may come his way. You know, the people in the streets are grumbling amongst themselves. No doubt, as the temple's best teachers stand to preach, the people begin to chatter amongst themselves. What about the new guy on the block? This Jesus guy? If they're looking for the best teacher, man, he, he's good. And the crowd begins to react, quietly, slowly, as this notion is spread around. You know, some respond, oh yeah, he's good. He is a good man. Someone to look up to. He's the one we need to follow. And yet others are sitting back responding, No, no, he's not good. He's dangerous. He's just trying to deceive people. He's just leading people astray. You can't follow him. But this chatter, it remains quiet. No one wants to say anything publicly about Jesus. After all, the Jewish leaders haven't given their position on him. They haven't said whether they're for him or against him, publicly at least. So the thought may have been, hey, if we say yes, but they say no, we could get kicked out of the temple. We could lose our families. We could lose our businesses. We could lose it all. So we'll keep it quiet. We'll keep it down. It'll be a personal thing for now. But we'll see what happens. 
And so it is this quiet chattering that goes on for two, maybe three days. And in the midst of this festival, in the middle of this feast, Jesus walks in to the temple mount. He ascends to the porch of the temple and begins to teach. Now if I could, I'd just like to interject to your friends that, as we said last time, there's a time and a place that is best to do things, which God has preordained. Sometimes it's better to wait before we act, but as we see here, there comes a time when we must come out of hiding and do what it is God has called us to do. For Jesus, that time is now. He begins to teach the people at the feast the word of God. Now the text does not tell us what Jesus taught, and, and I don't really think it's that important for us to know at this point. But my mind is somewhat captivated by the thought of the Son of God, literally the God-man, taking the podium to teach on the words which he inspired prophets to write. <laughs> Could you imagine the teaching that must have gone forth? Could you imagine the author of all things, the literal God of the universe, walking up, standing before a crowd, and explaining all things to them? Man. And John seems to indicate that my imagination about such an event may not be too far off base. May not be all that wrong, as the people are said to have been amazed, even asking amongst themselves, how does this man know all of this? He hadn't been to school. Yeah, he's not been trained. Some versions use the phrase, how does he know all the letters? It's a term that may refer to scripture. In other words, how does he know all this about the Bible? He hasn't even gotten to school for it. And so, hearing the murmurings of the crowd, perhaps knowing the thoughts going through their minds, Jesus responds in the temple to their core question. You see, he realized that what they were asking was basically, how in the world is he saying all this? Is he qualified? He's not really qualified, is he? And so, he begins his response in verse 16, saying, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak of myself. Now I pause here for a major point. Jesus begins by saying that his teaching is not his, but it is the Father's, who is the one who sent him. But he doesn't leave that unqualified either, as he goes on to say, If anyone is willing to do the Father's will, or as the New Century Bible reads, If anyone will do what the Father wants him to do, he will know whether the teaching is of God, or whether the teacher is speaking on his own behalf. Now this is big, because Jesus' claim to authentic teaching is that the doctrine which he is presenting is not his own, but it's the Father's. And if the people were truly doing what the Father wanted them to do, then they would know whether Je Jesus was saying the truth of God or not. In other words, it's by being in a right relationship with God that we begin to know what message is truly from him and what message is not. To quote the commentator of old, Matthew Henry, his doctrine is not his own finding out, but is from God's word, through the teaching of his spirit. And amidst the disputes which disturb the world, if any man of any nation seeks to do the will of God, he shall know whether the doctrine is of God, or whether men speak of themselves. Now this is important for us to know. For this is the same thing that we as Christians, if we are honest with ourselves, we must admit as well. 
Our theology is not something that we arrive at by our own making. It's not something we just come to through our own likings. But instead, it must be based on what God has said. And when we hear someone put forth their ideas of theology, of religion, about the Bible, we must make sure that it lines up with the Word of God. That is our test for accuracy. Further, it is our relationship with God that allows us to discern what right doctrine is and what is not. Truth is imparted to us as we have the ability to receive it. God is the one who illuminates the truth to us, as He is ultimate truth. Therefore, we must look to God as the authority of our message. But getting back to Jesus' words, He continues by telling the people that whoever speaks of Himself seeks His own glory. But the one who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. In other words, Jesus is saying that if he was just teaching them for his own personal gain, he would seek to bring the attention to himself. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all seen this before, and maybe, you know, if you're at all like me, you've probably done this before. You know that if you're telling someone, someone something good that you've done, you know, something good about yourself, we often do it so we'll get you know, the pat on the back. We'll be the hero. We want others to know our good deeds. We want to be rewarded and praised. But that's because we're in it for ourselves. What Jesus is saying is that the one who is seeking the glory of the Father that sent him, he is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. You see, the one who's trying to bring glory to another, he has no need to pump things up more than they are. He doesn't have a need to twist the truth a bit so that he seems better than he really is. No, he doesn't have to do that. He tells the truth because he truly wants others to go to the Father. He wants the glory to be on him, not on himself, and that's why his message is credible. Now, I think if we look closely, we'll also see the principle embedded in that for us as well. You see, we can pump ourselves up all we want, but it does us no good to lead our own parade. We get no added benefit to blowing our own horn. In fact... You could implicitly say from this quote that the one who does that is unrighteous. He's untrue. Perhaps we would do well to remember that it is when we bring glory to the Father that we do our most good. It's in doing the things which bring Him glory, not the things that make us look good, that make us righteous and true. I think that's why Jesus comes down so hard on telling people in Matthew to pray in secret, to give so that one hand doesn't know what the other's doing to do your acts of service in silence, because you don't need the recognition. In fact, it's often empty. No, the righteous man, he's the one who tries to direct all glory to God, not himself. So having shown why his message was credible, Jesus asked the people, Didn't Moses give you the law? Why don't you follow it then? Why are you seeking to kill me? Now, in the verse, it may seem a little disjointed, but in fact, it's a very tight argument that's being given by our Lord here. He asks them, Didn't Moses give you the law? Now, this was a fact that the Jews were most proud of. It was the thing that they kind of hung their hat on. It's what made them distinguished from all the rest of the world. The fact that God had chosen them to be the bearers of his law. But the follow-up to that statement is awfully revealing. If Moses gave you the law, then why don't you follow it? If you're so proud of it, why don't you do what it says? 
And as evidence of this, Jesus reminds them that they're breaking the law now by asking, why do you seek to kill me? In other words, if you're so proud that you have the law for Moses, then why aren't you doing it? You're trying to kill me as we speak. Now as verse 20 rolls up, we see that at this point the crowd is not aware of the plans of the Jews. Plans to kill Jesus, which they've been hatching up now for several chapters, and apparently they haven't made it public as of yet. And so they, they respond back. The crowd says, Is there a demon in you? You know, are you possessed? <laughs> What's trying? What are you talking about? What's trying to kill you? Who's trying to kill you? Are you crazy? Yeah, nobody's trying to kill you. Little did they know, though, in the back room, the plan was already in the makings. The wheels have already begun to turn, as the Jews are, in fact, planning to kill Jesus. And so our time draws near, and we end today's podcast here. Next week, we'll pick up with Jesus' response to the people, and we'll begin to see the crowd's reaction to Jesus' true identity a bit more. But if I could, as we close up, I'd like to simply summarize some of the points that we have drawn as we have gone through this passage. First, there is a time when we must step up and say what is true. There's a time when we must emerge from the shadows and do what it is that God has called us to do. Second, we can know that what we say, what we teach, what we hear is true if it matches up with God's Word. How will we know if it matches up with God's Word? We'll know by doing what God wants us to do, which means living as He has called us to live. In other words, when we trust God and follow Him in faith, He will make His Word clear to us through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who has come to be our counselor, which we'll see later on in John. And God reveals to us as much as we can handle. And the promise is that if we trust Him, we'll know what we need to know to determine if a message is from Him or not. We may not know it all, but we'll be able to know if it's from Him or not. Thirdly, we saw that the righteous man will seek to bring glory to God, not to himself, and in doing so, he will be truly righteous and true. Further, we saw that the inverse also holds true. If we seek to bring glory to ourselves, we're no more than unrighteous liars. The choice is up to us. And finally, we can see that if we truly claim to believe something, like the Jews who claim to have the law, they claim to follow it, yet they didn't truly live as it claimed. So we can see if we claim to believe something, then we would live as we believe. Now as Josh McDowell told me at a conference recently, you will always do what you believe. Your beliefs determine your actions. So if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we believe that he died on the cross, was buried, and resurrected to cover the penalty of our sin and to raise us to eternal life with him, we should live that way. If we claim to be Christians yet don't live according to what the Bible says, we may need to reevaluate whether we truly believe in what the Bible says. And so, as I close, I leave you with this thought. We're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the bondage of the law as Christians. But if we're truly saved, we should begin to do the things that Christ would do. For He is the one who lives within us now. Ponder on that this week. And until we meet again, may God bless and keep you. Come here to ask
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcasts.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.